there could be so many opportunities, I think, you know, hidden silver linings of this big dark cloud that we're all experiencing. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, welcome, everyone. I am so excited to see so many of you here. And I know that a lot of you have identified yourself using our name, Accidental Homeschooler. Maybe you're a sudden homeschooler. Maybe that's a more accurate term. I know some of you here are teachers who sent all your kids home because you had no choice. And now maybe you're biting your nails. What on earth are those parents going to do? to ruin my students. <laughs> so we're really hoping that we're going to give some great advice for you parents and for you teachers that you can survive these next couple weeks, maybe even months, and just see how this all goes. So let me just kind of give you a little bit of background about Andrew and me. Actually, I work for Andrew. I've been working for Andrew for about 12 years. So some of you, these were literally headlines I pulled off from the website today. School closures skyrocket. 54 million students were sent home. Teachers scramble. Trump urges schooling from home. I mean, all of these headlines, I mean, this is real. There's a lot of you out there who are now suddenly faced with, uh, what do I do? So what does this actually mean? So so the, while the states are trying to figure this all out, while the teachers are trying to figure out all this, what this means, we're just asking, hmm, maybe we can offer some help because both Andrew and I have homeschooled in the past. I actually did teach in a classroom for several years. So I've got a little bit of that background. And Andrew, if you don't have, if you've never heard Andrew Pudua speak before, I think you're in for a treat tonight. But he is a an excellent speaker. He speaks at homeschool conventions across the nation. Oh, not anymore. All those homeschool conferences <laughs> were canceled. But he is doing an online conference that you can check out this weekend. And we have a link for that at one of the last slides. So let me just kind of give you a background of what we're going to be talking about. It. So while they figure it out, here's what you can do. You can establish a good culture in your home. Andrew's going to be talking about this. Curriculum, what kind of curriculum should you really be focusing on? You might have your kids home through May or June. What's the most important thing? And care. How can you care for your family? How can you care for yourself? And, you know, there is a coronavirus going around, so let's be wise. So that's kind of our outline for tonight. And, Andrew, I'm going to turn it over to you. Yes, this is a rather rare case for a webinar. I think we very possibly have the largest variety of participants in a webinar that I have ever seen. Uh, people homeschooling for one week uh, versus people who've been homeschooling for two decades or more. Uh, I saw Cambodia, Malaysia, 
of course, our neighbors to North Canada, uh, the foreign country of <clears throat> New York. No, sorry. So that's that's very exciting. Australia, great. The second thing that makes this very unique is that uh, Julia is here with me, and we're sharing the duties of uh, bringing you the best we can. Uh, this is actually a webinar that uh, was supposed to be a completely different thing. Only, uh, I believe it was last Tuesday, maybe or Wednesday, uh, I was informed that we are changing the whole topic of the webinar to this one. And so uh, uh, Julie worked very hard all day together uh, with me. Uh, she did most of the, all the work to put together what we could uh, in terms of these, uh, you know, these ideas. So, so good to see all of you. So culture, you know, when we talk about culture, uh, I think it's a very interesting thing because it's a word that has three analogous meanings. Uh, one meaning, the one we most commonly think of, is culture, the stuff of the world around us. So the books and the movies and the music and the fashion and the food and the architecture and even the politics to some degree. And we throw that all into one big basket and call it culture. But there's a couple more definitions of this word that kind of, I think, enlighten us when we consider uh, some other ways this word is used. The second would be our corporate culture. And that would be the way we do things around here. So, you know, we at IEW, we have a, a business and we have certain ways of doing things and schedules and and kind of almost, uh, you know, certain patterns and rituals that we have created and try to follow, which creates a corporate culture. You have this at home, too. All of us have a culture at home. But the third definition is the one, I think, that uh, gives us the most interesting insight into the purpose of the other two, and that would be the Petri dish. You probably uh, remember when you were in uh, school, middle school, high school, whatever, you took a class, maybe biology, and you had that little uh, dish of yellow jello. Do you remember the yellow jello? And that we called a culture. And of course, uh, you would put something, some bacteria or something, into the little dish of yellow jello. And if it uh, grew well, then your culture was good. It was um, nourishing and growing what you want to have. If it is not a good culture, if it's antiseptic or toxic, then you don't grow what you're trying to grow. And I think this is so important because, you know, it's kind of obvious that the word culture uh, is cognate, very closely connected with the word cultivate. Uh, a culture is supposed to cultivate something. And so when we ask then, uh, what is it uh, that the books and the movies and the art and the music and the architecture and the, the stuff of life is what is it supposedly trying to cultivate we don't have a lot of control over that people like me can whine about bad music and bad movies and bad books and but i can't prevent them from existing i can only filter that as it comes into um, my corporate culture my my home and so that's our, our big job. One of the things that we who have been involved in homeschooling for a long time notice that there's very often a progression in the culture at home and how it changes. Often, uh, phase one, people decide to homeschool 
and so they want to do school at home. They want to recreate that environment of uh, the classroom and the curriculum, uh, even going so far as to get you know little desks and a you know a flag in the front of the room and, and a whiteboard and a multiplication table uh, chart on the wall, um, and, and then a little pile of books with uh, the right number on the cover corresponding with the grade level of the child. And so they're trying to recreate then uh, what what they remember or what they believe happens in schools uh, in the home. That's kind of phase one. And then uh, very often what happens is, uh, well, a few things can happen. Number one, you can kind of hit uh, overwhelm or burnout, especially if you have several kids and they're all in different grade levels and you're trying to juggle four or five subjects at, at two or three or four or more different grade levels. And uh, that that can kind of reach a point where uh, you just don't know how you can keep track of it all. And uh, lesson planning takes you till 1 a.m. like a normal school teacher. And uh, you think, I just can't do this. There's got to be something else. Phase two, I think then you start to realize, well, some of these things that we're doing, we could probably do together. We could group our children and we could have them, uh, you know, we could read to everybody the same book at the same time. We could all uh, learn some of the same poems. We could do, um, you know, math facts drills uh, in, you know, with the two oldest and the two youngest separately. That they're really, even though they may be a year or two apart, they're not necessarily a grade or two distant in the things that they can engage in learning. And so that kind of phase two, uh, often I find people can chunk kids, they can get a little more relaxed about curriculum and uh, still use, you know, appropriate textbooks and whatnot to help them stay on track, uh, but they feel a little happier. And then phase three, I think you kind of get to the point where you, you realize there's a difference between school at home and home education and that Honestly, you can accomplish a good chunk of what happens, you know, during the day uh, in terms of academics in a relatively short period of time compared to being in school for six or seven hours. And then you have time to do other things and build the culture at home. The question that I would encourage everyone to contemplate and discuss perhaps with a spouse, maybe with kids themselves, but you want to ask yourself, what am I trying to cultivate? Uh, I've got my kids home now. Uh, I want to more intentionally bring in, guide, shape, mold this culture at home. So what are the, what are the goals that I have? What am I trying to cultivate? And make your list. Uh, people would have a different list. Some people would say, you know, I'm trying to cultivate a love of learning. Some people would say, I'm trying to cultivate character qualities, um, wisdom and virtue. I'm trying to cultivate a more independent learner. I'm trying to cultivate uh, a stronger love uh, for, you know, siblings and, and family members and fellow man. Uh, I'm trying to cultivate a uh, strong faith. So uh, if you uh, take some time and make that kind of high-level list and say, what am I trying to grow in my children and grow 
in our family, I think that will help guide you as you make decisions about how you uh, move probably from this school at home the way school is to uh, a type of homeschooling that is perhaps uh, a little more nurturing of what you're trying to nurture. And, you know, that is a good exercise for every parent, whether or not you continue teaching your children at home after this uh, craziness is over uh, or not. Uh, it's still a good exercise to say, what is it that we really want to do in our home culture? Well, what are some things uh, that you might like to do in order to cultivate some of those things you like to cultivate? Some of them are pretty obvious, like eat and sleep. We, we do that every day anyway. Uh, the good news is uh, some of these things we can do a little more intentionally. Uh, laugh, of course, is very, very important. Uh, I have done uh, many talks and am um, a big fan of using uh, humor and levity in teaching. If you've ever watched any of my classes for children, uh, you will notice that I like to embed humor as best I can in the lessons. These are a couple very humorous uh, videos that you could probably watch at your leisure either way. Uh, there's a Facebook group called uh, Homeschooling Help, and there's quite a number of, of very humorous uh, different memes and videos, and it's a rapidly growing uh, Facebook group. <clears throat> it's also an opportunity, I think, for children to um, get a little more opportunity for chores and working together beside you. Um, I know that in a busy life, uh, it is sometimes easier to just do something yourself than to have a young child help with that. Uh, but now they're there, and now you have time. And so to uh, work on the things that need to be done to maintain the house, of course, if you're in the house all day, every day, uh, there's a little more maintenance required uh, as a result of that. Um, and of course, um, one of the huge advantages, I think, of homeschooling, especially if you have teenagers, uh, is they don't have to get up at such an absurdly early hour. So, you know, and the girls, it's worse because they need at least an hour to fix their face and figure out what they're going to wear or maybe more and then, uh, you know, eat and get out the door, sometimes get on a bus or be in a car, and then have to make it, you know, to school to start it. You know, high school, sometimes it's some horrible hour, you know, 7.45, 8, 8.15. And then uh, one book I want to highly recommend, and Laura, maybe you could put up a link to this. This had a tremendously uh, beneficial effect on me personally. It explained me, it explained my family, it explained teenagers, it explained all the problems of the world. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And I just strongly encourage everyone to read, or I listened to the book, the Audible is very good. And uh, what I became acutely aware of is that most teenagers are chronically sleep deprived because their, um, their circadian rhythms move uh, shift forward and they simply can't sleep at 10.30 or 11. Uh, many times they can't sleep till midnight or 1 o'clock and, uh, and then they have to get up so early in order to be at school. Well, if they're not having to be at school, they can get more sleep and this could improve all sorts of things. It could improve their emotional condition. 
It could improve their learning ability. It could improve their their attitude throughout the day. So uh, strongly recommend that. Learning, of course, is what we're going to be talking about in various ways. Um, but you know, learning not in the strict, it comes from a textbook, you get tested on it, did you learn it since, but more looking at the holistic experience. And of course, uh, opportunity, you know, the family that prays together does well. And so those are a few things that you would put on an agenda. And I, I start with that because, you know, we want it to be uh, kind of a very natural and organic extension of daily life. So curriculum, if you think about curriculum simply, uh, it is very easy to get overwhelmed with all of the, quote, subjects that people believe they have to study. Uh, this tends to get even more complex in middle school and high school when you have, you know, a school schedule with six different classes or a transcript that has so many uh, different, uh, you know, subjects that have to be done. I would strongly recommend that you think simply about curriculum, especially during this time of transition, and just divide things into two categories, sciences and arts. Sciences and arts, the arts and sciences. Now, of course, within that, there are some additional divisions. But that way, every day, you can ask yourself and say, OK, have I done some arts, and have I done some science? And if the answer is yes, then you can say, success. Uh, which <clears throat> I uh, anticipate you will be able to say every day with some simple guidelines. Um, with science, you know, we very often think of it as something that you have to learn from uh, a textbook. Uh, it has lots of obscure terminology and explanations for things. And that's all very important in many ways. But this is an opportunity where you can perhaps say, well, let's take a little bit more of a poetic approach. Could we possibly spend some time outside instead of looking at the book? And maybe we would start to improve our powers of observation. Uh, perhaps we would experience things in a multi-sensor rate. Perhaps we would be able to notice things that we haven't noticed before. And so uh, what we would uh, recommend at this point uh, is this idea of, you know, keep up with your math so that you don't forget the stuff you know. It's actually, in math, almost more important to maintain what you know and be able to do that with a little bit better speed and accuracy than to continually learn new subjects. So if you have students, you have a math book, and you don't feel like you want to necessarily, you know, jump into the next uh, subject or the next, uh, you know, level of complexity, uh, feel free to kind of camp out, and that fits with the nature theme as well. Feel free to camp out and simply practice those things that your children know. So. You know, if they are um, learning their multiplication tables and it's still a little on the, you know, slow and hesitant side, don't rush into division. Uh, just work with that for a while. Uh, if they're in division and uh, that's still a little bit on the slower, rusty side, don't jump too far forward into fractions. Um, so wherever they are, if you make your primary goal 
for what they're what they're doing now to become faster and easier and more accurate, that's sufficient for you at the time. Uh, you don't always be have, having to introduce uh, a new concept. I have a talk, and Laura, maybe you could put a link to it. Uh, I have a talk uh, entitled Master Ability Development, Mastery Learning, and Individualized Education. And uh, I talk about the importance of uh, that mastery of math so that moving into a higher level of complexity is um, more easily successful. There are so many math resources online. Uh, I'm sure that many of you have started to look into that and see what you could find. Everything, gosh, from, you know, Teachers Pay Teachers to all sorts of free stuff with different homeschooling sites, Khan Academy, worksheets, downloadable, printable worksheets. So there's Lots there that you can deal with. And so keep the math up. And then, really, um, I would strongly encourage that you use the opportunity of being home, uh, particularly because in many places it is and will be continuing to get warmer and spring, and the trees are blossoming in many places, and the birds are out. And there's going to be, I think, over the next few months, if this uh, craziness lasts that long, plenty of opportunity to connect with nature in a way uh, that we often don't have time just because of the busyness of the school day and the work day and the homework that has to be done and all that. Um, I have a talk, and Laura will post the link to the talk. It's uh, I actually stole the title for my talk from this particular book, Nature Deficit Disorder. And uh, this is a fantastic book, uh, Last Child in the Woods. And he talks about the consequences of being separated from nature in the way that uh, modern children are so much more than we were as children. And, and probably we were much more separated from nature than our parents were and their grandparents and so on. So the great thing about being home and not having to be at school all day is that you, you, know, you can't go to Starbucks, you can't go to... Tacos for life. You can't go to the library. You can't go to almost any place. And uh, in some places, uh, you're not even supposed to go anywhere. Um, but uh, there's always the backyard. Uh, there are parks. And, you know, most places you can, uh, uh, with a relatively short drive, uh, get out of a city and uh, find a state park or a national park and just take the day and say, hey, let's just not do, let's not do school today. Let's not worry about the academics. Let's get in the car. On the way, we'll listen to a good audiobook, and we'll just spend the day outside. And um, this, I think, may have some hidden benefits. You know, I was uh, mentioning actually to Julia last week uh, my wife and I uh, try to take a walk most afternoons or early evenings, and uh, I happened to be home, and we, we w went out and were walking about 3 o'clock in the afternoon in our neighborhood. We live in the city here. Uh, we have these little subdivisions, and we walk around. And what was so delightful was to see an unusually uh, large number of families outside together. Um, you know, older middle-aged moms shooting hoops with a teenage boy who obviously was going to outshoot her big time. 
you know, families of two parents and three kids riding a bike down the road, um, a soccer game, uh, you know, with with mom and dad and four kids in the backyard, all sorts of things that you wouldn't normally see on a weekday afternoon at 3.30, 4 o'clock. Why? Well, because mom and dad weren't able to go to work or they were working from home, uh, kids weren't in school. And so there could be so many opportunities, I think, you know, hidden silver linings of this big dark cloud that we're all experiencing in terms of building family through um, many activities and in particular those being outside. So I strongly, strongly uh, recommend that you at least listen to my talk, uh, Nature Deficit Disorder. And then if you're interested, uh, you can actually um, you can read a lot of uh, Richard Louv's research uh, on a couple different websites that he has. And uh, so I think if you spend time outside, a la Charlotte Mason, a la Maria Montessori, a la um, the way it was for many people through most of history, you'll gain some really good firsthand sensory-rich science curriculum and you can kind of relax a little bit more if that yes uh sherry you're right um some government parks are are closed and that's uh too bad uh oh but shenandoah was doing free admission is that in virginia rachel shenandoah because i think i used to live right around there another thing that gets you outside and you don't have to go anywhere to do this it's also the right time of year and that is to start a little garden you know, I, uh, I'm i not sure this has quite the same appeal to teenagers as it might to younger children, but uh, I know that my wife has, uh, you know, always been very interested in her gardening and uh, getting the kids out there to help plant the seeds and learn what should go where and um, planning uh, what to do. And, you know, you can combine this, of course, with some research on how to do it well. If you're not an experienced or natural gardener, which I am definitely not a natural gardener, there's uh, so many resources that you that you have available. One idea, and uh, I had one daughter who really got into this, and that was uh, square foot gardening. Uh, and it just takes a very little bit of space. You, you don't need a, a huge backyard. You don't need to dig up all your you know, grass or, or plant beds or whatever, you can actually uh, start in a fairly simple way, little raised bed. Even the project of building the frame uh, would be a great thing to do with the kids. And uh, so this idea uh, of square foot gardening, it is amazing how many vegetables you can get out of a dozen square feet. Uh, it's really, um, and, and there's nothing quite as satisfying as eating the carrot that you plucked out of the ground or the tomato that you pulled off the vine, or in my case, the hot peppers that you grew yourself, which for some reason aren't ever as hot as I wish they were, but maybe I need to research a little more uh, what makes hot peppers hotter in terms of, of that. So getting out and, you know, you could probably get a big thick textbook that said botany on the cover and spend a year studying and reading and um, trying to memorize stuff and taking, you know, quizzes or tests. And then, 
you know, three months, six months after you had finished that, what percentage of that textbook really would, would you retain? Probably most of you would guess not that much, you know, 10% if you're a genius, you know, 5% if you're average, 2% if you're me. So, uh, but then think about the whole process of, of doing a garden. And like I said, learning what should grow next to what to reduce the bugs and what type of uh, best things grow in which climate and when to plant and all of that uh, is going to be probably more real useful botany that you would take into your experience, uh, you know, from your experience into adulthood. So uh, that's an idea I think very, very good to consider if you can. Arts. One of the things that we think about, of course, is uh, music and fine art. Um, many of you have perhaps children that uh, play the piano or the violin, that would make me happy, or even the recorder or xylophone. Uh, hopefully not saxophone or drums, but maybe you do have that. Um, the great thing about having more free time, if you want to call it that, is that you've got more time to play music. Uh, if you don't have uh, children uh, doing uh, music lessons or uh, if you haven't started but you want to, uh, there are many things you can do now. Just getting a simple recorder, you know, simple penny whistle, flute, and uh, learning simple little melodies uh, and practicing uh, that a bit uh, to add it into your day. And of course, singing, you know, singing is something that used to kind of be universal in all curriculums. We were uh, just talking about this in the panel discussion that I was in Saturday as part of the virtual conference, which I'll mention. <clears throat> we're doing another one of these this coming weekend, and we were talking just almost the whole hour uh, just about music and singing, how every child sings, and yet we kind of have lost our cultural orientation towards singing as a family. And so maybe that's something that uh, you could come up with. And of course, resources online, um, you know, folk songs that, that you probably know the melody to, but you've forgotten some of the words because you haven't uh, sang it in a while. And of course, hymns, if you're so inclined. Uh, I know Steve Demi, he has a wonderful book of family hymns. So if you don't have one, maybe you could get a hold of something like that. Uh, the fine arts, of course, is, uh, you know, that's something that is always an opportunity. Children love to very often, you know, draw pictures or play with Play-Doh or clay. Uh, perhaps you could um, do something a little wild and radical and say, hey, let's make a family mural. Uh, take the pictures off the wall, uh, get some tempera paints or whatever, uh, draw something and let everybody participate in painting. And of course, you know, you will have to repaint your wall when you sell your house years or decades from now. But you will have to repaint your wall when you sell your house years or decades from now anyway. So why not consider something a little bit just on the edge of what you might normally consider reasonable? And that, of course, is going to bring some joy and laughter uh, to everyone and uh, uh, resources available. I'm also a fan of uh, the uh, Drawing with Children um, book, and, and it helps you know, every child start remembering 
but uh, you know uh, something a little bit on the edge that you might not normally do. I think is what I was saying. Oh, I'm uh, kind of a fan of uh, this uh, curriculum, of drawing with children, uh, by Mona Brooks, the Monart School, because <clears throat> a lot of children uh, don't like drawing if they're afraid it won't be good. Uh, I was like that as a kid, and so this you know teaches step by step how to draw something. And there's lots of videos you know, YouTube uh, and online videos on how to draw one thing or another. So um, lots of physical activity. It's uh, it's tough, you know, if you are cooped in the house all day. Um, but I hope you got a chance to watch the, uh, or you do at some point, the video of that little boy in the obstacle course uh, that his parents made for him around the house. Um, you know, could you rearrange your house and make it a little more friendly for uh, physical activity, you know, an indoor Nerf soccer or indoor Nerf battle uh, if you can't get outside. If you can, of course, you know, the only thing kids really need is a couple balls. And, uh, boy, I spent uh, I spent a good two hours uh, playing soccer uh, with against two of my grandchildren, uh, seven and four years old. And um, the four-year-old was still trying to get the hang of where to try to make the ball go to get through the goal. But, um, you know, you just get outside and, and you don't have to worry about, you know, what do you have to do next? You've got that freedom for a lot more physical activity and possibly even, you know, um, some kind of uh, formal, you know, exercise or gymnastics uh, or something that you could do all together as a family. Um, language arts, you know, I think you want to keep it simple. Um, we tend to think of language arts as being a very complex, involved thing, starting with phonics and reading and reading comprehension and then spelling and handwriting and then, you know, uh, literature and public speaking and grammar and composition and the list goes on. And it just seems very overwhelming. So uh, if you know us, if you know IEW, you'll notice our tagline. Almost always when we have our logo right below it, we have uh, the tagline, listen, speak, read, write, think. Listen, speak, read, write. And if you think of language arts as that, are you doing some listening? Are you doing some speaking? Are you doing some reading? Are you doing some writing at an age-appropriate aptitude appropriate level. One of the best integrators of language arts, uh, as Mrs. Ingham always put it, poetry is the great integrator. And uh, I fear that we we don't uh, value or experience poetry today uh, the way we used to, uh, perhaps in generations past. Uh, and this is one thing, you know, I have a very strong, strong uh, love for myself and uh, also an appreciation of the value of not just reading poetry, but actually learning it, which means you memorize it and then you recite it, and it becomes something that uh, builds your vocabulary, it builds your syntax and, and grammatical variation, uh, it uh, builds your comprehension, it contributes to your imagination, uh, there's so many wonderful things that memorizing poetry can do for you.
Um, reading aloud should be probably at the core of a language arts curriculum. Uh, there's probably, in my view, there's probably nothing more important you can do in any given day than read out loud to your children of all ages. Don't, we tend to, I think, favor younger children, you know, and kids read on their own, and then they've got their homework, their school assignment, the book they're supposed to read for school. And so we go, yes, you go read your book, and that'll free me up to do, you know, the picture book, Ping and the Beautiful Yangtze River here uh, one more time with the four-year-old. But uh, what uh, so many people have found, and I'm sure some of you participants could chime in on the real value of reading uh, out loud to the whole family, uh, a good or a book that you want to read, uh, an engaging book. Um, we're going to put up some resources later, and one of those I'm going to uh, share with you is uh, a good friend of mine, Sarah McKenzie, and her website, The Read Aloud Revival. She's got book lists that are uh, wonderful and appropriate for read alouds, and a, a whole discussion going on there uh, with reading uh, aloud to the family. So uh, if you just did that uh, and then spent the rest of the day outside uh, and then did a little bit of math to not forget stuff, that would be a huge success for a homeschool day in my thinking. If you don't give children something good to memorize, they will memorize whatever garbage is in their environment. Now, I thought I had accomplished something truly great when I was probably 11 years old, and that is with help of the television commercial that came on many dozens of times, you know, every uh, cycle of watching, um, you know, Batman or Star Trek reruns, I memorized the formula for a Big Mac. Two all beef patch, pitch, sauce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. However, my colleague, Julie Walker here, she upped me. So, Julie, would you turn on your mic and do what you did to me earlier today? Because it kind of blew my mind and it deflated me because I thought my accomplishment <laughs> nothing compared to your accomplishment. Okay, you ready? It's kind of embarrassing that I can still do this. <laughs> Bun, seeds, sesame, uh, on onions, pickles, cheese, lettuce, sauce, specials, patties, beef, all to you. <laughs> Why did you do that? Because I had nothing else good to memorize, clearly. So, um, we, have, um, we have a poetry memorization program. Uh, maybe, Laura, you can put up a link to uh, that. It's, it's still my, the favorite thing I've ever done. It's like a Suzuki method for poetry memorization. And in the special package that we're offering you at the end of this, uh, we actually provide for you, no cost, all of level one, which is 20 poems, uh, the poems themselves, some background information, some uh, coloring sheets if kids are into that, as well as links to the audio of me reciting these poems so that you can uh, start right off on having your children uh, memorize good and beautiful things rather than kind of uh, silly or meaningless or random things. And uh, I'd, I'd say any of those of you who've done a little bit of poetry memorization with your children, maybe you'd like to uh, just type in briefly uh, what were some of the best uh, things. Oh, Shanna, I'm so glad that you asked this question. It, um, she asked, how do you get boys to do this? Memorize poetry, I assume. Well. I specifically found poems 
that are what I would consider boy-friendly. For example, Anna said the vultures, her favorite, by Belloc, goes like this. The vulture eats between his meals, and that's the reason why he very, very rarely feels as well as you or I. His eye is dull, his head is bald, his neck is growing thinner. Oh, what a lesson for us all to only eat at dinner. That's a boy poem. Jabberwocky is a boy poem. Uh, so there are quite a number of poems that are either humorous, a little bit violent, perhaps on the edge of disgusting, or tell a story, or preferably all of those mixed together. And I have found that if you do start with the right kind of poems, you can capture the imagination of boys. And uh, what would be fun is, of course, now we're all um, into this kind of not being able to see uh, you know, regularly uh, people that we might be able to see, such as grandparents or aunts, uncles, relatives. So uh, children can memorize a poem and then uh, Skype grandma and recite uh, a couple of their poems there. Well, and I'm just going to chime in, Andrew, with that because, you know, I introduced you to a new tool today that I would like to know in the chat box how many of you have heard of this brand new thing that just came out what 10 years ago Marco Polo how many of you know Marco Polo that is a great way to share these poems with people yep it's, I try and read my story to my granddaughter every night <laughs> with the Marco Polo it's like the idiot Skype maybe something like that yeah it's not live so it's really nice you can record it and you want to know what her favorite book is right now Trashy Town. She wants to hear me read Trashy Town. Good. Um, I wanted to talk just a little bit uh, in favor of cooking. Uh, this is something that uh, I, I became aware of really when my couple of my older daughters uh, went to college maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and they were very surprised. So Marco Polo, Walter, Marco Polo is an app. And it is a app where you can record video and send it directly to other people who have the Marco Polo on their phone. So uh, you can try try downloading it if you want to. Yeah, so I wanted to mention cooking. Uh, I became aware uh, when my uh, I had a couple older daughters, they went to college, uh, and they were shocked that the their the people in the dormitory that they lived with, almost none of them, and these were all girls, knew how to cook much at all. Like, couldn't even prepare a pot of rice. And they were kind of shocked because all my girls uh, grew up uh, learning to cook and cooking very well, which is extremely nice. Uh, at my older age, when I go to visit them, I can always be certain of excellent meals. But uh, I, I was kind of surprised to hear that. Um, and, and then I realized if that's true for the girls out there, it's probably even more true uh, that very few boys are learning to cook. And I, uh, I am profoundly grateful that my mother, who was, um, she's a working mom. She taught um, piano and voice uh, in our home. And so she was busy, usually, you know, right up around till dinner time or whatnot. But she managed to find time to teach me to cook stuff. And in fact, it was my job, uh, probably from the age of, I don't know, 11, 10 or 11, all the way till I was maybe 
15, 16, it was my job to cook dinner every Wednesday night. And she would be sure to have the ingredients. And sometimes it was something, you know, simple like hamburger helper, just, you know, cook the beef and throw the mix in and stir it around and make a salad. Other times things a little more involved, um, you know, fried chicken and having to learn how to grill and bake. And I remember one time I was very ambitious to follow a recipe and try to make a chocolate mousse. You had to whip the blasted egg whites and then you had to melt in the chocolate perfectly. It didn't come out great, but I left childhood believing that I knew how to cook. And then when I lived alone for several years in Japan, I cooked for myself. And now I cook for myself because um, my wife is busier than I am and I like it. And so we actually share our cooking responsibilities. And I just can't encourage you enough to make that a part of the curriculum. Uh, and what better time when you've got the kids home uh, during the day and you can, you know, teach them how to read a recipe and measure things out with the, the cups and spoons uh, and then how to, you know, intuitively throw in a dash of this and a, a bit of that. So um, I, I just think, you know, cooking and I see Darlene sewing. I didn't get as good a background in sewing, but my mother did show me basically uh, how to use a sewing machine, how to thread a needle and how to uh, stitch up uh, something that had been ripped. Uh, I probably wouldn't go so far as to do that myself right now. I would probably ask my wife to do it, but uh, at least in a pinch, I could. So, you know, these are some of the practical arts. If you're thinking sciences and arts, we've got music and fine arts, we've got language arts, and there are some very practical arts that you could focus in on and have time when your children are at home there. Talk about screens. This is, of course, one of the uh, things that we notice uh, children today spend um, magnitudes more uh, of their time looking at screens. Um, when I was young, of course, there was no internet, but television existed. However, it was very regulated. There were windows where I could watch a certain show, and then there were windows where the family watched a certain show. Uh, movies, you still had to go to a theater. Um, you know, video machines didn't really come into existence till I was uh, late teens. And of course, now we've got just ubiquitous everything. So, you know, there are good screen time, of course, educational. One of the very best possible educational screen time activities, in my opinion, would be watching writing classes published by the Institute for Excellence in Writing, which of course would be me teaching kids how to write with structure and style. And I thought it would be nice if we were to throw out a few movies that you may or may not be familiar with, uh, appropriate for different age groups. And uh, I would be uh, you know, very happy if some of you wanted to throw out some of your own favorite movies so that you could take notes. Um, Toy Story, uh, The Jungle Book, the old one, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Middle School, October Sky, Swiss Family Robinson, I might put it elementary, I don't know. My seven-year-old grandson watched Swiss Family Robinson and then tried to narrate the entire movie back to me. Um, one of my all-time absolute favorite movies uh, is actually about spelling, and it's educational, but it's more about 
character and virtue, uh, although it, it does have a very interesting aspect on how to study, very inspiring, very motivating, and that's Aquila and the Bee. High school, uh, I guess a couple favorites around here would be Dead Poets Society. Uh, the Scarlet and the Black is a wonderful historical uh, story about a real man who lived, uh, uh, Monsignor O'Flaherty, who lived in the Vatican during World War II and ran kind of an underground railroad uh, helping uh, Jews and, and prisoners escape from the Nazis. Uh, great story. Uh, Sound of Music is probably the movie I have seen more than any other movie, and honestly, I would go watch it again. The Greatest Showman, okay, I, I'm fine with that as long as you actually read at least the Wikipedia article on P.T. Barnum so that the movie doesn't give you 95% wrong information about who he was. And I don't know. How many times can one family watch The Princess Bride? I'm sure it's in the dozens, possibly in the hundreds. So, good. And I see you're all sharing. Oh, The Scarlet Pimpernel, 82 version. Yes. Secondhand Lions. Oh, Cynthia. Love that movie. Secondhand Lions. Uh, Little Women, almost any version except the newest one. This Land is Mine. Uh, Jeremy, I've never heard of that one. So, yeah. The Indian in the Cupboard, National Velvet, Sergeant York. Hey, you guys are going to give each other all enough uh, of a list that will keep you busy for several uh, weeks of watching uh, classic films. Uh, last night, my wife and I watched a movie, pretty old. It's got a very, very young-looking Tom Hanks uh, called Joe and the Volcano. And I think this movie was made 30 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. And uh, what struck me was that in that time, there was this kind of innocence and virtue that was really portrayed in the movie and appreciated uh, so much more than what we see today, which would be, you know, the problem of bad screen time. And, of course, all of those things where, you know, the games are simply a distraction, they have the possibility of becoming uh, somewhat addictive, um, you know, an escapism type thing. Uh, you know, we all, I think, have games that we play on screens. But uh, with children, you know, it is especially important to help them, um, you know, do that in moderation and not uh, use it as, as a kind of escape out of everything else. So a friend of mine wrote an article called In Praise of Boredom. And then I searched it and I found that a whole lot of people have written things and titled them In Praise of Boredom. Uh, if you do a web search on the benefits of boredom, uh, you will find all sorts of uh, articles from, you know, opinion all the way to research in Scientific American or Psychology Today magazine. One thing that's uh, kind of interesting I remember reading years ago is that it actually requires more brain activity to stare at a blank wall than it does to watch a sitcom on TV. Well, why? Well, if you're staring at a blank wall, you would have to imagine stuff. You'd have to remember stuff. You would have to explore what's in your brain. Otherwise, you would actually die of boredom. 
Um, but what I've noticed is that children very often, you know, if they have the time and they have the resources and they don't have those things that are generally, you know, entertaining them, if, they, if the entertainment side of life is removed, and of course most all children believe they have a, a right to continuous entertainment, but if that's removed, then suddenly they're forced to use their imagination and industry, uh, become a little bit more uh, creative or experimental, uh, especially if they're, you know, have, uh, you know, if they're outside, they can just start putting stuff together and building things and making things and having more of an imagination. So don't be afraid. Of course, most of us, of our generation, if we said to our parents, I'm bored, well, mom would suddenly have a nice list of chores that would need to be done, probably starting with cleaning the toilets. So uh, I learned uh, you do not say I'm bored to parents. I don't know if children in this generation have that same uh, experience, uh, but perhaps that would be something to consider. Or, or, you know, it's not, you know, the fact that you're bored isn't my problem. It's your problem. What can you do to solve that problem and that kind of attitude? All right, uh, we want to share with you some of the things we have here. Uh, we've put together a package of three weeks of English language arts instruction, and I hope the components here um, are on this next page. So, what you know, okay, do you want to? Sure why and don't you quickly tell I'm people just go ahead and what's in this package, yeah. just so I don't get it wrong? Sure. So you get. It's three weeks of writing, but if you actually did all three weeks of this writing, you'd probably have more writing instruction <laughs> than you might have gotten in six months. Just because you, uh, you assign a lot of work, Andrew, but it's really good and the kids love it. And if they don't love the writing, they'll love the jokes. And so you'll want to have that. So there's, there's writing, there's grammar built into the writing and grammar. There's also vocabulary. And then we also have the um, poetry memorization course. And this slide, this particular link right here, you fill out the form, and then you'll get an email. And then you click here on the email, and that will take you to this page that gives you your writing, your grammar, your vocabulary. And then down here are all the little boxes to check. What's really important, we want you to remember this, you guys. Listen to me. Are you listening? <laughs> Bookmark the link to the videos. People get going and then they forget where they put the videos. The videos, just bookmark that link. That's where you're going to get the jokes and the writing instruction. Free writing instruction, but you have to get the free jokes too. <laughs> so that's that's what we're giving away just to get you started. And then we uh, started... Can people share that link with anyone? Homes? Absolutely. Just go, go back to... Let me go back to that slide that you can share with people. It is this one right here, IEW.com slash Lessons20. If you click on that right now, it will take you right there because that's a live link. But go ahead and share it. We've had thousands and thousands of people be introduced to this. And honestly, it should not take much explanation. Just get going. It's kind of one of those just start the video, download the PDFs, open, and go. Pretty easy. And it, someone was asking in the chat, do we give you a list of poems? 
Well, the poetry memorization course, you have 20 poems to yep. memorize, so that should get you going there. So I mentioned this new homeschooling help page. This is just, We started this just, wow, Saturday, just to help people, help all of you, the hundreds of you here tonight. If you have any questions about how to homeschool, whether you do it for six years or six weeks and you're just trying to survive, I hope what you've heard tonight from Andrew and maybe from me too is, you know what? just relax. You're going to get through probably a lot more learning than what you expect by just relaxing and getting outside and focusing on what's the most important things. Andrew mentioned a few links. I want to just post these all right here. Surprised by Homeschooling is an excellent blog post that Jennifer Mauser from our IEW team wrote about what to do about homeschooling. Some of those things that we mentioned here tonight Center for Lit has some free literature lessons. Christy Clover wrote a book called Homeschool Basics. And we're actually giving away five copies of that book. So you can click on that link to enter our drawing to get away that for, to get that book. Sarah McKinsey, Andrew mentioned, has a readerloudrevival.com. And one of the things that she's doing now, you fill out a survey and she tells you what's the next three books you should read out loud to your children, which is really fun. And then when you're all done, you get to take it again, and she gives you three more books to recommend. I just love it. And then this weekend, Andrew is speaking at the virtual homeschool convention called classicalconferences.com. So you can click on that link and register for that. So lots. Wow, you guys. I was As we were putting this together, I was thinking of my days. I'm all done homeschooling. My Baby is 31 years old, so it's been a long time since I've homeschooled. Did not teach him the Big Mac song. Sorry, just couldn't do it. But all those years ago when I would walk those homeschool convention halls and be completely overwhelmed, we don't want to overwhelm you. Have some fun with your families. Relax. Enjoy each other. Put them on a schedule just so that they know what's to, what they can expect next. If you are working from home, just call them your coworkers, right? <laughs> Excuse me, my coworker needs some attention right now. <laughs> Go take care of your kids, get them outside, and just enjoy this rare time that you have with your kids. So, I wanted just to I wanted to share a couple things as a as a homeschooling mom emeritus, been there, done that, did most of the homeschooling myself, and that is don't be afraid to get input from your kids about what they want to do. Hey mom, I would really like to try this really cool thing. If this really cool thing is not watching SpongeBob SquarePants, then it might be okay. Um, enjoy the ham you, time you have. And also, please, just be COVID-wise. Wash your hands. Social distance. There's a reason why you guys are home right now. And don't don't undo what we're trying to do right here, here is which is to flatten the curve. <laughs> the curve is real. <laughs> And then one last slide I'm going to share with you. This is our, our Magalog our, for homeschoolers or for full-time teachers. We serve all people in any educational path, whether they're teaching their children at home, whether they're teaching their children in a classroom. We've got materials and resources for them. A lot of them are completely free. If you go to this link, you can request a Magalog for free. And inside that link is, inside the Magalog are Resources to our free premium membership, which gives you a free shipping code, a free book that Andrew wrote. I'm now I'm overwhelming you guys. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> but here's the link to enter the drawing again. 
Um, there's a few a questions that are outstanding, but uh, I hope that's been useful to the many, many of you. Uh, I think this is one of the best webinar turnouts we've had in a long time, and uh, I'm I'm overwhelmed with the excitement that you all have about either continuing your homeschooling life or beginning, perhaps, a homeschooling adventure or bridging your time from here to there. So we are here to help you. I'll finish with this one question Sarah asked about transitioning a public school teen to homeschooling. And that's, of course, a very general question, and all homeschooling teens are different. Uh, the boys often uh, miss different things about school than the girls. Probably the biggest thing is just friends and connection. And so uh, giving them opportunity, but not unlimited opportunity, to keep in touch with their friends through uh, probably text and Instagram uh, is, is, is where they would be. And, and I would encourage you to talk to this teen and say, you know, this is an opportunity for you to really kind of take responsibility for your own curriculum, for your own education. This is a chance for you to say, hey, what interests me more than other things that maybe I had to do at school that weren't as interesting? And then you assist him or her in being able to uh, pursue learning about those things which are of greater interest. I think what every teenager really wants is responsibility for themselves for learning, responsibility to help make the world a better place, and the freedom to kind of pursue what may be the glimmerings of some kind of uh, sense of calling or mission in life. So I would just encourage that public school teen and say, hey, this is a great opportunity um, that you might otherwise have had to escape the boring stuff and pursue that which you would find most interesting, and I will help you do that. So that would be my uh, bit there. Walter, I don't have a specific website related to the benefits of boredom, but I guarantee you, if you just do a web search on benefits of boredom, uh, you will find more links than you probably want to read. So um, I think that does clear off all the questions. And we are a little bit uh, past the bottom of the hour, so we'll wrap it up here with our closing music. And again, Andrew, there's one more question. It, someone was asking, what grade well, level is the public? You know, we have had people um, buy it for an elementary student and discover that the five-year-old's learning poems as faster, faster than the 10-year-old. I have actually had someone as old as 80-something by the poetry program because she wanted to remember and learn poems uh, to help uh, her memory in old age. So uh, I don't think there's any, you know, particular grade. If you think of it kind of like, you know, anybody can start playing the violin. You can start at 4 or 14 or 40 or 80. Uh, you can start memorizing poetry at any age as well. So Misty, don't be scared because you've got all the help you need. Uh, we will we will help what we can. You will find other like-minded people, and you just take it one day at a time. All right, let's wrap it up with that, and God bless you all.
Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.